Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me today. Now today we're speaking to Tim Green of mojostompboxes.com. Tim is a guitar pedal nut. In fact, he owns what is in most likelihood the largest collection of Boss Compact pedals in Australia and associated paraphernalia. <laughs> He's also into uh, Maxon pedals, Greco, all that kind of Japanese um, Japanese era of incredible pedals in the 70s and 80s. Now, Tim has got a lot of things going on. Tim was the guy behind Toy Room Effects, which was a highly respected builder of boutique effects here in Sydney a little while ago. Mojo Stomp Boxes is where uh, Tim buys and sells uh, these vintage stomp boxes. And it's been an online concern for a long time, but Tim also talks us about his new bricks and mortar location, which is very, very exciting. Now, as you'd expect from all this, Tim has uh, a really great background in vintage Boss, Ibanez, Maxon, Greco, all that kind of stuff. And I took the opportunity to ask a few questions. Um, Firstly, I asked him about a few pedal stories, pedal myths that I'd heard of and asked if he could confirm or deny some of these stories about the early histories of some of these companies. Then it got a little bit personal. Uh, Like many guitarists, I've bought and sold gear and I've moved a couple of old Japanese pedals, which I kind of liked, kind of sold them at the time to do the next big thing and always felt a bit bad about it and wondered what the, what the state of the market was for those pedals right now. So I, uh, I did ask him um, about a couple of personal pedal situations. I'm sure we've all got stories like that. Maybe if you got one, you could uh, send us a line on our Facebook or our Instagram account. All right. Hey, before we get to our interview with Tim, I uh, just want to let you know, coming up soon is our NAM special. There's a lot of our former guests in NAM this weekend, the, uh, the massive convention in America with all the uh, latest gear developments and announcements. Our good friend Michael Ross from Guitar Modern is there covering the show, and we will catch up soon to discuss the show. So Michael will give us the, the bird's eye view of what has happened at NAM this year. All right, that's going to come up though, so stay tuned. Anyway, here we go. Here's my interview with Tim Green from MojoStompboxes.com. Tim Green, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you very much, Matt. Mate, it's really great to have you. Now, I know you're a guitar pedal nut, to, um, to put it mildly. What was your first guitar pedal experience? Um... First overall experience is probably something that most people have done where you walk into um, the Billy Hyde or to Alan's music here with your um, with your old man and just sort of pick out the first thing that speaks to you. And so I think I had uh, one of the little purple Behringer things, um, the overdrive slash distortion that was a copy of one of the old boss ones. Um, so I walked in and I thought, yeah, this is, this is going to make the crap that I have at the moment sound better for some reason. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Because we're all we're all naive once, and we all thought that Behringer was going to do magic things to us. Um, so I sort of walked in and, and found that in a bargain bin for thirty bucks or something like that, and managed to convince Dad to buy it, even though he was just there for a set of sticks. And it sort of grew from there. Nice. But, um, yeah, that, that was number one, which I, I have a bit of a memory of. And yeah, yeah. From, from there, it was you know multi effects and tone labs and interfaces and all that sort of stuff. But Okay, cool. The, the standard rite of passage for most guitarists, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Um, my my first pedal um, was a was a Boss DS1 that I bought out of the Trading Post. So for all you youngsters out there, that was uh, pre-internet. You'd, you'd buy the Trading Post on Thursday, and it was just full of secondhand stuff. So you'd turn to the musical instrument section, and um, yeah, that was in '86, I think. So. Yeah, an overdrive or distortion, often the first one. Did, so you, you sound like you come from a musical family. Was your dad a drummer if he was looking for sticks? Um, he, he tries to be. He, he plays in um, you know, the old fuddy-duddy cover bands that, um, that do a gig every couple of weeks at the local RSLs and, um, and things like that. But um, he, he definitely got me into it um, throughout primary school. I played trombone, which is uh-huh. a real lady killer of an instrument <laughs> as a... Um, <laughs> as a kid growing up so um once i hit high school i, I tried to hide that and um, picked up a guitar and 
tried to sort of bluff my way through a different instrument for a while. There was a little, uh, you, you could you could take it out of your bedroom and you didn't feel like a bit of a dork. So, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, obviously he, mum, mum's tone deaf, but he he sort of put me onto um, onto music and introduced me to music as a kid. And I remember sort of growing up listening to things like The Living End and those yep. sort of bands that had a big guitar, big sort of um, punky sort of vibe to it. And, yeah, um, awesome. That that really sort of stuck. Cool, very cool. So you went from your Behringer, um, yeah, purple Behringer. So you said Tone Labs, like is that like the Vox Multi Effects? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The things that have a tube in it, and so you think, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna satisfy my fifteen-year-old cravings to have an AC fifty or an, an AC thirty without sure. spending the money on it. And um, it had an AC thirty setting, so yep. you think that's gonna be, you know, that's gonna be the last bit of gear you're gonna buy as a as a fifteen to sixteen-year-old, but you realise when you grow up a little bit that it's it's not the case, and <laughs> it doesn't really last as you'd uh, as you'd wish. But um, yeah, you you go through all those multi effects and mess around with modelling, and I think that that sort of brings you out what you what you want, what you sort of need as a as a musician or as a collector or or whatever you are. Sure. Um, yeah. So that yeah, it, it sort of paves the way for you a little bit. Mm-hmm. So when you discover that there are pedals and then there are pedals, like so you, you're well known for your love for Japanese made pedals like Boss and Ibanez and, and Maxon. When when did you um, really latch onto that kind of stuff? Um, I took a fairly roundabout approach to get to the stuff that I chase today. Um, I went through a lot of the online forum stages and all of that, where you're you're buying on hype and all that, and um, I actually took off on a, a bit of a mission to collect the Maxon 9 series, the Ibanez 9 series at a stage, and I ended up getting three of them and, and uh-huh. gave up. And um, I then got thrown basically a, a really good price on a Love Tone meatball, which is the big envelope filters that sit around 600 to 800 bucks okay. nowadays. Yeah, wow. Um, and I fell in love with the ridiculousness of of those so between the love tone stuff and the fox rock stuff um i ended up building basically a full board of of love tone and fox rocks and was the envy of a lot of people online for quite a while <laughs> nice. uh, so that sort of ticked over my i guess love of completionism or collecting something to a degree where You, you, you could call yourself a collector of it. You could say, yeah, you know, I've got six or seven of these. Yeah. Um, and so you, you can classify yourself as a bit of a, a, bit of a collector of something. Um, uh-huh. So that's sort of what ticked me over onto, I guess, borderline hoarding, but more, <laughs> more or less just having a goal with, with your gear. So having yeah. a goal and sort of sticking with it, saying, you know, I, I, I want to focus on this. I want to have as much of this as I can. Um, and so yeah, once once the love tone sort of craze for me died down, and I realised that the love tone gear and the the fox rocks gear is geared towards good musicians, um, I sort of got rid of it all and, and realised that it was <laughs> it was being wasted on me. It was sitting in my you know in, in my garage in my bedroom. It just it wasn't getting used anywhere near as as much as it could be. Okay. Um, so I sort of moved on from the high end stuff. Like yeah. So you um. So you mentioned Maxon. Can I, uh, as we talk about your your story as well, if I can ask you some some questions as well. What's the deal um, with Ibanez and Maxon? Because they have some very, they've got some very different products, of course, but they've got some that are virtually identical, even almost down to the serial number. What do you know? Can you explain the history there? Um, I I can. It's easy to explain over writing because I get I don't get a chance to sort of get it down. <laughs> but it's basically that Maxon is, um, and I'll probably cop a lot of sort of criticism or whatever for this, but Maxon's the father or the mother company of a lot of other people. So okay. in the mid-70s, they were manufacturing pedals. They, they were the pedal manufacturer, basically. And then Ibanez sort of contacted them and was like, um, can we have this? Can we have one of what you're doing? Can we put our brand on it? At the same time, people like Greco and Pax and a few other companies did, obviously Greco took off and, and went other places mm-hmm. with their brand. But a few other little brands have things floating around that are the exact circuit, the exact enclosure, everything on that with a different brand. Okay. Um, so a lot of companies were basically just rebranding um, 
obviously not in a sense of rebranding today where you just take it, paint your own stuff on it, but coming out of the same factory with different logos on it. Yeah. Um, and Ibanez was the one that sort of stuck, um, especially with the whole, the, the tube screamer and um, that sort of range. Yeah. That basically yeah. stuck in the early 80s and people got on board with that. Okay. Um, it could have, in a, in a parallel universe, that could have been any other brand. Sure. Um, it just happened sure. to be Ibanez did, was the ones that did... Um, took Max and stuff and, and sort of took off with it. And I mean, most of the old Ibanez stuff from the early 80s has Maxon branded battery doors, Maxon branded circuit boards and all that sort of stuff. Oh, wow. So okay. it, there's, there's no secret to it um, being the same stuff. Yeah. Um, but essentially they are, yeah, they're, they're a parent company. The other okay. thing with Maxon, when it expanded a little bit, they were Japanese only to an extent. So the Maxon gear in the early the late 70s early 80s more or less was only available in japan then the and the ibanez gear was the export models oh, okay, so gotcha. you get things like super tube screamers and all that sort of stuff you yep. see a maxim one that was sold in a store in japan so an ishibashi or something like that at the same time as ibanez was being sold in for the the billy hides or the um the guitar centers or whatever the equivalents yeah around. gotcha Yes. Gotcha. So in the West, I guess that's why we um, we think of a tube screamer as being originally perhaps an Ibanez thing until we dig yeah, a little deeper. Yeah, and it's also why we a lot of the time see Maxon as being so exotic or so sort of different because, you know, I, I'm not the oldest person, so I wouldn't be able to attest to when they originally came out or anything sure. like that. But I know that um, it, it, you were never exposed to it. So you'd see this rare Maxon pedal floating around and the, the main reason that it's rare is it was never available in a... Um, in the Western market, okay. so a lot of that does feed it. Cool. Now, Boss have um, just celebrated their fortieth anniversary last year in twenty sixteen. So they uh, they kicked off in in uh, nineteen seventy six, obviously, and um, uh, an offshoot of the Roland company. What can you tell me about um, the start of uh, Boss starting to make pedals? Um, well, obviously, they they had the whole Roland thing in the early uh, in the mid the mid 70s with the the double beats the b bars the funny cats all of those mm -hmm. sort of big rolling boxes and yeah. um, I think the first pedal with boss branding was the Langer which was in the Roland enclosure that they um, they put boss in on it the, the bf1 okay um, but then I think you know obviously the compact series comes out in 1977 and they sort of revolutionize things a little bit and um, they, they, they sort of went the next level with um, their pedal branding, basically. They, they decided guitarists and bass players are going to use pedals and we're going to give it to them and we're going to set up that rather than sort of having not no direction with the Roland pedals that they're releasing, but there wasn't any real sort of system to what they were doing. They were big pedals. They were a bit, a bit hard to manage and, um, mm -hmm. and all that. And so they, they sort of went and created pedals as you as you sort of see it now, I guess, with, um, with Boss. Yeah, sure. The first, uh, or the oldest Boss pedal I, I recall seeing is um, a chorus ensemble, one of those giant sort of grey, green kind of things. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a them as well, that's right. Yeah. yeah. They had the Boss the boss name to them as well. Yeah. I always think the Flanger, I've never had the chorus ensemble. Oh, okay. Yeah. played through them, but I've never actually owned one because the voltages have always been an issue for them. I've never found an Australian one that's... It sort of stayed with me, okay. um, and you yeah. can't really buy them from overseas because it step downs and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, sure. I remember playing through one. Certainly, a hell of a pedal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember playing through one years ago. Oh, not even through a stereo rig, just straight into a mono amp, and it was unbelievable. But um, but yeah, really big, unwieldy kind of hunk of metal. <laughs> so mm, yeah. Uh, so what was the first compact Boss pedal? Uh, they came out with three. They came out with the. I don't know what, what's now known as the traffic light series, which is the um, the red of the spectrum, the yellow of the OD one, and the green of the PH one phaser. So okay, yep. they came out with the three of those in the seventies. Cool. Um, as the as the compact ones, and obviously the um, the spectrum didn't really take off um, as the others two did. So sure, they yeah. um, they discontinued that and kept the other ones on and. Then every year since then, barring I think 1992, they didn't release one. 
and okay. maybe one other year. They've released new ones every year since then. Wow, so. that's massive. They've With, been busy. Yeah. With the Spectrum, was that like a, I've seen I've seen pictures of them, but was that like a, I don't know, like an audio enhancer, some sort of yeah, idea there? Yeah, it's essentially a it's a a single band EQ um, more than anything. So you can you can tweak it to whichever range you want it to change. Um, more than anything, it does that cockwah. Oh, okay, sort of okay. Um, but, but yeah, basically it's a single band parametric EQ. So okay. you, you can mess with a few different frequencies. I think it's from about 500 hertz to five kilohertz. Um, okay, cool. Mostly kicked off with keyboard players. Um, All right, yep. Because they could mess with their frequencies a little bit more because even on a guitar, a lot of the time, if you get someone that doesn't really know boss pedals and you give them a spectrum, they plug it in and they think it's broken because it doesn't it doesn't do a whole lot. They've uh-huh. got the first uh, the first boss pedals had a momentary LED. It's that's why sort of a, a weird trivia fact, but that's why it says check above any boss LED. It doesn't oh, say okay. on yep. off. It yep. doesn't say active. They were originally there to check if there was a battery that had power. So basically, oh, okay. you press the foot switch down, yep. the light goes on. Um, so it's not to indicate whether it's on or off or anything like that. It's basically just to say there's power in there. Oh, very um, cool. So the first ones of them were, were momentary. So you give people a spectrum, they, they hit the foot switch and the light doesn't stay on or um, yeah, they okay. don't. And so it's one of those things that it's very, very subtle until you sort of play with it for, for quite a bit and find a few uses for it. But they are, they're a very underestimated um, pedal because they, they can do some cool things. They're just not as, um, not as noticeable as, as a lot of other pedals released in then or today really yeah sure sure a story i've heard about the od1 and i'm not sure if it's true you might know but the the od1 came out so like a two knob um overdrive and then maxon or ibanez came back with the tube screamer with a a tone control and Mm -hmm. then boss replied with the sd1 or the super overdrive which then had level and gain like the original level and drive plus a tone control is there any truth to that story um, I mean, that, that's a tough one because I've got Maxon original catalogs from, I think, 76, oh, okay. 77 and 78, yep. Yep. and they have, um, they have overdrives from that period. So they, they have pedals that they marketed as an overdrive that came out then. Um, not the same exact, um circuit so it's not it's not the same circuit as a as a tube scream or anything like that but maxon did make overdrives just before 77 okay um they sort of paved the way to tube screamers so the od uh maxon made an od802 okay which is an, a distortion and sustainer 2 they call it um that's essentially a grittier tube screamer and they were released in the um in that sort of time period around the same time Okay. So obviously, tube screamers didn't come out for a few years after then, but Maxon technically, and once again, I don't want to, I don't want to give an exact date, but I think they would have come out with that just before the OD one. Uh, and I've, I've got, I've had, I've had a few of them over the last sort of year or so, and I'm going to test to that. The other thing they came out with was the OD eight eighty, okay. which yeah. uh, one of the they're, the they're the best overdrive pedal I've ever played. You can take your clock, you can. You can throw that out. You can take any any modern pedal. The original soft distortion is one of the most musical pedals you can play, and that's coming from a pretty bad musician. So give that to a good <laughs> musician, and they can do they can do the world with it. They're an incredible sounding um, an incredible sounding pedal, and they don't have the tone control. So they're probably the most comparable to an OD one. Okay, so um, that's the then, Maxon yeah, 880. Yeah, yeah, the 880. For okay. Cool. So like a low gain sort of thing, I guess. Did that have the yeah, big yeah. um the big mid hump that a tube screamer would have? Was that... uh, not really. They're, okay. they're very clear. They're um I mean they they feel more musical than, than most pedals you play. You you plug in you plug in some distortions and they distort. You plug in some overdrives and they drive. This it it, it sounds like um it sounds like music, basically. I mean it's <laughs> hard to describe but it's just a very very nice um it's a very nice sound um to them and i mean they released sort of two versions of those one in 76 and one in 79 mm-hmm. um so if you're talking about real early overdrives that predate tube screamers and od ones and 
super um, sorry super overdrives and that yeah. um, that's that's your pedal so I I sort of regard that as the first real um, overdrive to, to come out um, and that was you know three three years before tube screamers were sort of ever ever hitting the market anyway so yeah cool now you're um you're you've got quite the collection is is it predominantly boss is that the main stuff you go after or um regarding uh pedals themselves i stick to boss and roland predominantly yeah um that being said i'm trying to fill out the maxon catalog from either 76 or 77 <laughs> cool um, i'm trying to fill that out with their boxes so i mean i've got three of those at the moment i've got the original flying pan with a box which is the phaser stereo pan tremolo in okay one. yep it um ibanez re-released for a year i think in 2008 or something around there yep um so i've, so I've got one of those in the box i've got the pedal phaser which is the wire enclosure but it's actually a phaser and it changes the rate oh okay um, cool so i've got one of those from 77 and then i've got the double sound which is a um it's a fuzz wire basically so I've managed to be lucky enough to find them in the um, in the original boxes that I've that I've jumped on. So I um, I have a little a little modest sort of maximum collection as well yep. as a few compacts with their boxes. But um, yeah, the the boss count at the moment is sort of sitting at about 40 um, 40 old Japanese pedals with the the boxes and manuals and nice. variations of each and um, and that sort of stuff. Plus I got some of the Roland um, the Roland stuff from the 70s in in very good condition with their boxes. So Okay, cool. It, um, it started small and sort of expanded. Nice. And now it's a bit, uh, it's a bit much, but yeah, it's um, it's always been, it's always been the boss stuff that has been sort of the most collectible for me. Um, that's always been the stuff that um, it has been the best to target. Cool. Now, are you focusing on? Um, we'll talk about your retail um in a moment, but for your own collection, are you mainly focusing on Japanese boss pedals, or are you moving over to um, Taiwanese as well? Japanese mainly because they are uh, obviously the, the more scarce of the bunch. A lot of yeah, the Taiwanese yeah. stuff is still um, is still available um, nowadays. So I mean, I've I've got you know most of the early ones that I want um, boxed up and and um, and available. And I I play them. I mean, once once again, not a great musician, but I I, I make use of them. They don't um, they don't sit in the display case you know, 24 mm -hmm. hours a day. They'll they'll a couple of them will come out every so often, and I'll um, and I'll mess around with them and just try to try to keep them going. But um, most of the most of the harder to find stuff I I have and I, I sort of keep. I mean, I've got a few a few oddities in there. Like I got a, a prototype um, PH1 phaser. Okay, um, cool. Not saying it's the first ever one or anything like that, but it it seems to be a, a prototype because the serial number isn't wow. um, isn't stamped. It's actually a sticker, and on the sticker is a name, a Japanese name. Okay. Um, so I sent that over to um, I got Boss Australia to send that over to Japan, and they came back with it was most likely a, um, a tech or one of the um, one of the builders that either made it for a friend or made it for themselves or um, something along those lines. So I mean the the cool little things like that you only really get from the Japanese stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. Once, once production got a bit more intense in Taiwan, you, you lose a lot of the personal touches. But I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a few things like that floating around. It um, just sort of add to the collection and um, and make me smile, I guess. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> what are you on the lookout for, for in terms of the uh, terms Japanese, of, boss yeah, Japanese boss stuff? Uh, like I said, I've got most of what I'm happy with. I um, I'm missing boxes for a few of my touch wires. Okay. I'm um, I'm down a slow gear at the moment. Um, I just got a few vibratos in, so I'm, I'm good for those after having a bit of a drought on um, finding the perfect VB2. But at the moment, the slow gear, I've had them without the box, I've had them floating around, but that's been the one that's um, it's sort of been that it just hasn't come up at the right time for me. Uh -huh. I've either just spent a ton of money on something else or I've, I've missed the auction or anything like that. But um, yeah, the, the slow gear has definitely been a bit of a, um, a bit of a loss for me. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Um, can I can I run some personal stories by you? And you, can you tell, let me know if I've done something really bad? Now I'm I'm uh, I'm a little bit older than you. Obviously, my first pedal I bought in the 80s. Um, in the 90s, um, like a lot of guitar players, I thought, quick, I need a rack. 
I did my effects in Iraq. So I sold a bunch of stuff, bought some different stuff, bought and sold. Anyway, these are the pedals I've bought and sold. There's three main ones I, I sort of regret. So the first one was my my Boss DS1. I, I bought that in, uh, I bought it secondhand in 86. So it's obviously a Japanese one. Um, I had the box. I've still got the instruction manual. Yeah. which is awesome like what instructions do you need for a distortion pedal I don't know but it's got them um, is that is that was that a major mistake selling my boss DS1 um, last count with DS1s I think I have seven or eight okay. um, in, from the 80s so um, I've got a box uh, you see that 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 was the other thing that crossed my mind while we're talking ds ones I thought you know what maybe if I just sell everything I have I can collect a ds1 from every year and then maybe every month and then just get silly with awesome. ds ones awesome. yeah um, so when you're talking ds ones there's no shortage of them out there's there. a lot of them so yeah yeah I figured selling one from 86 you'd be able to find an equivalent pedal pretty easily so I wouldn't be too um, sort of destroyed if you if you sold that for cheap I mean I've got yeah I, I got a 70s a 79 and an 80 um, with the boxes and manuals and then I've got sort of miscellaneous ones from the the mid 80s plus I've got a few from Taiwan that have the Japanese circuit board in them as well from that little transitional um, period so yeah Mm -hmm. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be too upset about selling it okay okay one for my not really I'm happy with my rig and everything now but I'm just thinking you know were were these pedals going to put my kids through college or something or uni anyway okay uh pedal number two an ibanez digital flanger from the 10 series okay the 10 series was a little bit weird yeah once again probably not in terms of price um there's obviously there's not many around but when it comes to those circuits there was other series that did the same thing yeah so you'd be able to find that exact if you wanted to replicate it for example you'd be able to find that exact circuit board in two or three other um series from either maxon or or ibanez um if you wanted to find the exact pedal you'd probably have to stick to the us Uh um i'd say there'd be a few of them on craigslist or (laughs) things like that or or even the gum tree floating around here yeah sure um or if you wanted the sound you'd be able to find it from a few other brands yeah cool yeah, well, the diatones, the, that sort of stuff. Yeah, cool. All right, good, good. Last one. And this is the one I, I missed the most in terms of it sounded awesome. It's a, a Boss uh, Digital Dimension. Not the one with the not the one with the little press buttons, the four press buttons. It actually had pots. Yep. I, I think it was a DC3. Yep, that would be them. Um, um, did you have the Digital Dimension or the Digital Space D? Oh, I think it was Dimension. Okay. So the, there's there's three DC pedals. There's obviously the digital, uh, sorry, the Dimension C, which is the little button, yeah, the button pusher. It is one of the greatest um, modulation pedals that's ever graced. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Um, um, so I got I got my box one of those that it gets a good workout. Um, then they released two versions of the DC three. They released the Digital Space D, which was mainly Japan only, which mm-hmm. was a very strange thing for them to do. Um, but they, yeah, they, they called it the Digital Space D, released it in Japan, and then sort of went from there with it. Um, there was rumours of them being sold in Australia as well, but I haven't, I, I, I haven't met anyone that's bought one new. Okay. Then the Digital Dimension was the, the worldwide release. Yep, I okay. want to say they changed it because Space D may have been used a little bit strangely in Western culture. I mean, if you're walking around talking about your Space D, um, <laughs> like spaced? might get taken the wrong way. Not sure. Okay. Um, either way, there are still plenty of them floating around. Um, I wouldn't be wouldn't be too heartbroken about that. They're around sort of the um, 150 to 250 sort of mark so yeah cool not the gold mine you might want it to be no that's okay no this is good news i don't feel so bad for moving these pedals on and i've got i've got digital chorus happening elsewhere in my rig i'm i'm um i'm unashamedly a fan of digital chorus yeah Um, well i mean i mean i've I've got you know some of the maxon um maxon made a digital series for their japanese market and um 
they've got you know some of the best digital courses and, and digital flanges and stuff that um, that you can get plus modulated um, modulated delays modulations and um, and that sort of stuff and they're you know they they do what they do really well I mean they're not going to do an analog sound obviously but they um, they can make you sound like a, a pretty good robot quite easily nice which is what you're sort of after yeah I guess awesome. if you're going digital chorus awesome um the, another obscure boss fact um i wonder if you could you could verify or or not the um is it true there's no boss compact pedal with the number four in the in the name it's not there's one uh-huh it's, i just packed one up for shipping yesterday the parametric eq the pq4 oh, pq4 yes the PQ4 is the only boss compact that has um, the number four in it, because obviously unlucky in in Japan and all this. Yeah, but, yeah, um, Japanese culture, gotcha. Yeah, the PQ4, and interestingly enough, the base version of that was the PQ3B. Okay. Um, most of the other base pedals, they they sort of went, you know, BF2B, B2B. They yep. they stuck with the same one. For that, they went with a different number. Oh, so okay. either they. Yeah, either they thought this was a really bad idea from the start, or it was just a bit of a, a bit of an anomaly for them. Sneak it through! Wow, there you go. Cool. Now, tell me about Mojo Stomp Boxes online, because you've actually turned your passion into into your career. What you do? Yes. Um, so yeah, Mojo Stomp Boxes um, started in, I think, started legitimately in the beginning of 2015. Uh -huh. um, I was prior to that. I was I was running toy room effects and building and modifying and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I still had a lot of pride in in what happened with that. Um, but then I just I didn't have the it, it wasn't financially stable enough to be sure. building and modifying. Uh -huh. um, and I've always you know enjoyed buying and selling pedals and all that. Um, but then decided to to basically get up and running with with Mojo Stomp Boxes and basically bring a bit of joy into. Um, the idea of both collecting pedals and also not being snobby with them, um, enjoying them for what they are, because um, mm -hmm. that's a that's a big part of what collecting is. Obviously, there's there's the collectors that you know treasure their stuff and um, make sure they they let everyone know about their collection, and then there's the ones that just enjoy having a ton of stuff. They they enjoy having what they think is the best or um, what they get the most joy out of. Um, and I wanted to you know to take that and and sort of celebrate those kind of pedals. So obviously the old boss stuff um, kicks off because I know it gets a lot of slack when people are like, why don't you just buy a new boss pedal? And um, yeah. a lot of it is, you know, if you if you want a pedal that you can play and you can't, you know, tell the difference, then buy a new boss pedal. If you want a pedal that sounds a lot of the time fairly similar to a, a reproduction pedal, then get a vintage one, but have the enjoyment of owning a, a vintage pedal. Have, have the enjoyment of owning something that has some history. Having a pedal that's either lived its whole life being locked away in a, a cupboard in Osaka for you know for 30 years and then seeing the light of day in mint condition or something that's you know been been touring since 1982 on someone's pedal board you yeah, get cool. you get that history that you don't get with a lot of um, a lot of modern pedals and I guess that's what I'm I'm passionate about and I, I I ride vintage bikes and um, have a few vintage guitars and it, there's just something about them that have they have some history to them um, and yeah I, I wanted to sort of to bring that to the world as well as a lot of the old Japanese stuff it, it doesn't get the attention that it should so mm -hmm. the Gaia tone pedals the, the Tokai stuff the Pearl pedals so the drum brand did um, manufactured some pedals in the um, in the 80s um, brands like that did either bring back some nostalgia or people say oh yeah I saw one of those in the 80s or um, oh yeah they, they don't make them like this anymore just, um, just to, to bring some excitement back to that sort of gear yeah cool Cool. It's a really interesting, um, yeah, time in, in history. Really, that that eighties period, late seventies into the eighties, of course, when those companies were going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I get I get questions all the time, or I get people posting on Instagram that are, you know, they they grew up in that time. And they're like, oh, this was my first multi effects. Talking mm -hmm. about the old boss, like the um, bosses multi effects, where they just put four circuits in a box. So yeah, it was yeah. a literal sense of multi effects. Mm -hmm. um, and people, people saying, oh yeah, that was my first, um, that was my first gigging board, or that was, you know, my equivalent of uh, an ME50 or an ME70, one of the newer multi effects. Yep. Um, a lot of young guys had, had grown up as their first pedal. Um, 
and they get excited to see that. They're like, oh yeah, that was a really cool, that was a really cool thing because it was real pedals in a real box, and um, and they get really they get really keen on that. And so there's a there's a lot of nostalgia that comes out of the '70s and '80s stuff. That's cool. for sure. Cool, awesome. And a lot of those multi effects, um, I know one of the big deals with say the Roland multi effects are the ones where the, the overdrive circuit is still analog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um the the two that I a lot of people give them a lot of flack and a lot of people don't really understand them because they think oh they they're not worth a whole lot is Boss's B E five M. So the M stand uh the, the programmable version it doesn't stand for program because it starts with a P. But um, general idea is it's a you can set your presets on it and it's four real boss pedals in one box. Yeah, it runs off yeah. a single nine volt boss power supply. It has a headphone output, got stereo output. Um, it's everything you could want. And they're you know they're they're well under two hundred dollars Australian. They're very very useful for pub gigs for. Rehearsals, just for, for places where you don't want to take six, seven hundred dollars worth of pedals, yeah, but you cool. still want to use, you know, real circuits. And they did that, and Maxon did the PUE series, which is the same thing. It's programmable presets, so you yeah. can you can set it up so it just switches between the circuits, and it's real Maxon pedals. It's real circuits in the box. So that's something you don't get nowadays. Nowadays you get, you know, a couple of boutique builders doing stuff like that. It's a bit of fun. Yeah, yeah. Now it's all emulated. It's all we want to get, you know, 600 effects in one. Whereas these ones were, you know what? You don't need a fancy power supply. You don't need um, any other pedals. You don't need a pedal board. You can just take this and your boss power supply. Um, and you can you can even throw that on your board if you want. You know, if you want to run your favorite wire with it, you can put your wire on the same board as, as your multi effects, and you're still playing with the real um, the real circuits. Yeah, cool. I I remember those units when they actually when they came out there was um roland had the um they had the gp8 mm -hmm. which actually was that boss or roland um, uh roland that was Roland. okay so that was like the rack mountable one had yeah. had the eight effects yeah. in there which i think i think was still analog i think they were i think they were analog until the gp16 but there was also a floor unit that boss came out with which was similar to the gp8 um was it the me5 or the yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual, um, the actual full-blown multi-effects that they sort of came out with. Yeah, I've, I've got. Um, once again, I've got, I've got some Boss catalogs as well. Yeah, cool. Um, and I've got some of the original ones with those, with the original um, pricing and all that. And they were the cost of a as a, of a small Honda um, at the same time. Yes, like you, you yes. could buy a car for the same price as you could buy these. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you had the. At the time, then you had the unit you were talking about the um so what was the model you were talking about i know the ones that got the smaller more of a plastic sort of enclosure yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're full plastic but yeah you know I've, I've got five or six i've never broken them yeah cool one, but they're um they're the be BE, be series so yeah that's it cool. they've made three they made a be5 a be5b which is the base the base yeah the red one the full and band eq and stuff and the red oh the red one was the programmable one okay cool so that was the next year they were the early early 90s late 80s early 90s yeah awesome yeah they're definitely a bargain in terms of getting those yeah. those kind of sounds and, and the analog circuits nice yeah. i had a um also had a boss gt3 when they went to the metal the kind of bigger yeah, yeah, yeah. ones with the expression pedal and the distortions there were analog as well and they sounded great it just sounded like four or five different yeah. boss um dirt pedals which sounded really really cool so yeah, yeah i had a, had a lot of fun with that box for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. So Mojo Online, so you're online, um, yep. Mojo Stomp Boxes. Um, you've got a great website. One thing I like about your website, you've got a really cool blog page where you, you post um, fun and informative facts. Yeah, well, I've been trying to keep diligent with that. Um, I've been a bit slack recently because I've had a few other things going on with the real world and the website mm -hmm. um, that I've been trying to sort of get up, but they're on the back end at the moment. Um, but yeah, the the blog was sort of my outlet to, um, I guess, run alongside Instagram and, and Facebook and, and give a bit more detail into some stuff. Yeah, um, sure. So I know I, I get a lot more year coming through here than, than a lot of people would, so I can um, investigate it. I can um, go inside and, and see what they're all about. I can see the differences that a lot of people wouldn't because they only have one at a time, whereas I'd have, you know, five or six from... A few years apart, sure, so I can see sure. the differences in them. I can 
um, and I can log them, and I can also talk about the um, the boss sort of collection that I've got with the accessories and the um, the memorabilia, basically, side of it, and I can I can give a bit of input onto some boss gear that people have never seen before because you know it, it wasn't all about the pedals with them. The, the miscellaneous accessories that they have sort of released as promo pieces and all that. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, nearly impossible to, to find. So, so what's um well, let's talk about that for a minute. What's what's some of the boss accessories that, um, that you've uh, managed to collect? The one that most people would have seen some somewhere in the world is the the mouse, so the, the mice, the computer mice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got all three variations of that. Nice. Once again, if you've seen one, you've probably seen one. Uh -huh. um, but they released three: okay. uh, a DS one, SD one, and a Blues Driver. Yeah. Um, so I actually cool. managed to find two of them in Japan, and then the third one was a gift from um, from Boss Australia to sort of complete nice. the collection. Nice. Um, so that was, um, they're, they're the ones that a lot of people have seen. Um, you go a bit deeper, I've, they released four watches in the shape of the Boss Compact pedal. Mm -hmm. um, I put a photo of, up of, of them on my Instagram and that went pretty viral. That was actually on Reddit on, <laughs> at some stage. That got thrown around a lot of places that I was sort of stumbling on it. Oh, um, cool. In early 2000s, they released some watches and I managed to get three variations of them then once again, Boss UK this time managed to hook me up with the fourth one. Nice. Um, in exchange for a little bit of a little bit of my doubles, uh, my doubles basically. So yeah, anyone familiar with collecting <laughs> Pokemon cards or whatever, it, it sort of understand where I'm coming from with that. Where you know I had a, I had a few extras lying around that I didn't need, so yeah, and it's just what I could do with um, with Boss UK on that. Cool. Um, and then that goes all the way down to I've got stress balls in the shape of um, Boss pedals. I've got <laughs> Most of the collection of compact clocks, which is basically just little tiny clocks that are about a quarter the size of a boss pedal. Okay. Um, I've got erasers. I've got USBs. <laughs> I've got a glow in the dark foot switch, like the the little rubber thing that sits on the top of the pedals. Oh yeah, I've yeah. I've got a it's a glow in the dark one that no one's been able to give me an answer for, but it's definitely from the boss factory. Mm -hmm. um, I've got little plaques. I've got the OD3 backpack. Uh, I've got a Boss Toiletries bag, which once again, no one's ever seen, and I don't know if it was made for toiletries, but it's exactly like the toiletries bag you'd take caravanning with you. Okay. Um, That's cool. Man. A whole lot of little, just little things like that. I've got a, a cloth that's in the shape of a tremolo pan. Um, yeah, just little things like that that I've stumbled across basically over the years, mm -hmm. either, um, either domestically or... Um, or overseas, a lot of the stuff comes from Japan because the Japanese are those those strange sort of people that don't use things, and if they don't use it, they keep it for a long time okay. um, without opening it or anything like that. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've got, yeah, still has the original the original packaging and is in amazing condition and all that because, um, yeah, they're they're just they're those it's that sort of society where they they really look after their things. Cool. Nice. Now, um, you, you spoke a bit about toy room effects, but you're you're still doing repairs and mods as well as your your online. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I'm opening up. Um, I'm opening up Mojo nowadays to um, mods and repairs. Uh, to I've always I've always specialised in repairing vintage um, pedals because I have a bit of a, a library. Um, it's in storage now, but I've had a bit of a library of old um, parts stocks. Mm -hmm. So Sprague, um, Sprague capacitors, a lot of old um, old transistors and things like that that I can sort of respectfully restore some vintage pedals with. Yeah, cool. Um, without you know just using cheap uh, cheap repro parts. I mean, I've, yeah. I've always sort of taken a bit of pride in that. But um, yeah, nowadays I'm working on. Um, simple mods to, to newer boss pedals. I'm sort of taking a different approach to um, to the big modders by um, basically trying to respect what the original circuit was. So not try and change everything, not um, say, oh, this pedal doesn't sound good, I'm going to do this to make it sound good, because okay. I think that's a, um, that's a bit a bit objective. If you if you know stuff like that, if you're saying, yeah, it sounds, it sounds good, because you know, good is, is only what your ears hear. And, of course, yeah. I think I, I try to keep them, um, try to keep them as, as close to stock as I can, and then 
it usually add just a little bit more. So add a, a switch to add a little bit more bass if you want to if you want to use it um, mm -hmm. more than anything. And so you know I'm not I'm not grabbing new pedals and modding them. I'm sort of trying to find them on Gumtree and um, just trying to trying to bring them back to life, I guess, a little bit. Um, yeah. And then obviously yeah, the repairs. There's there's a bit of fun in being able to bring back an old C2 from the the brink and um, giving it a new a new life, giving it a few more years. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Nice. And um, so you're you're online. You've got a great website, but you're also um, just starting a new a new chapter at Stage Door. Yes, which is um, awesome. As of, as of today, as yep. of the time of recording this, which is, is not when you're going to be listening to it, but um, as as of as of the moment, I am basically going to branch out and put together a little um, a little pop-up store at Stage Door Studios, Stage Door Production, which is in Alexandra here mm -hmm. in Sydney. Um, so in that sort of inner city hub, um, they're they're absolutely huge there as well. They're they're probably the best studio, which is why I went to them first. Uh -huh. um, and they they love the idea. Um, and so basically, I'm going to be moving in. Um, there to have a bit of a physical presence and um, have a bit of a bit of foot traffic going um, going through the front reception area over there. So I'm going to move um, some of my cabinets over there, um, bring a few guitars in. So I'm going to look at um, getting a few Gaia tones and um, Japanese Fender and maybe some Greco or all that sort of stuff into um, cool. into the store as well as cables and um, straps and the sort of stuff you need when you're rehearsing and um, yeah, but being able to sort of open the um, open the, the showroom up a little bit um, to the public because obviously my outlets at the moment are online. Sure, um, yep. um, the amount of love that I get from um, from Instagram, the amount of messages that I get saying, yeah, this stuff's killer, like, how did you get this? Where did you get this? Um, I think people will um, really appreciate in a, in a physical setting to walk past um, a, bit of a, a bit of a museum that's also for, for sale. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, no, Sean over at um, over at Stage Door loved the idea when I um, when I approached him about it, and um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna try and make that a real destination for um, musicians and, and all that for um, for Stage One over the next few months. Excellent, that's great. Yeah, just to, um, I probably should backtrack a little, but I think you've explained it as as you've gone. But Stage Door, yeah, is one of the one of the best rehearsal venues in in um, in Sydney. So a lot of the big bands, touring bands, will uh, will do stuff there. And yeah. um, lots of people just like me who, who've rehearsed there many times for different bands to um, get there too. We're trying to work out some trading hours and trying to work out you know, when, when the best time to be there is. And we went through the, um, he, he took me through his very, uh, his very secretive bookings, um, bookings sheet. And okay, yeah. There's, there's a lot there to be excited about. There's a lot of people there that I'm gonna fanboy over, I guess, when, um, when they walk through. So. Yeah, nice. Could be a very exciting sort of uh, very exciting time to, to meet some people and um, do a bit of people watching there yeah cool man nice yeah i guess that's not the 9 p.m till 12 p.m slot that that i'll find myself uh, in if i'm ever yeah. there yeah look i mean they're, they're, you, you get 12 bands at some nights um there at nine o'clock so i'll definitely be showing my face uh around those sort of times when it's um when it's busy because You've got six bands leaving and six bands coming, so yeah, a lot of a lot of people there to chat to and a lot of um, a lot of questions to answer around those sort of times. But um, yeah, it's exciting and um, yeah, so that's that's stage one of the Ego Stomp boxes, then um, stage door adventure, and then stage two will be Ojo Canteen, which still is under wraps and um, that's all I can really talk about. But, that's fair enough. Yeah, but cool. that'll be stage. Stage two of it. Great, man. A couple months after. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, it's an iconic place, and it sounds like um, some some great stuff's going on there as well. So fantastic. So um, so Tim, what's the best way um, if you're not living in Sydney? Many of our listeners are from around the world, um, or certainly outside of Sydney as well. What's the best way for people to keep up with um, with all the stuff you're doing at Mojo Stomp Boxes? Well, look, the, the easiest way is Qantas will operate flights to and from Sydney. For most, um, <laughs> Destination. That's true. Uh, so if you've got the, you've got the income and you've got the time, then jump on a plane. <laughs> Alexander is right near the airport. It is. Um, it's very close. Just wander on over. But um, no, I'm I'm more active on Instagram than than anywhere else. Okay. Um, yeah. There's something about posting a, um, 
a square photo of some cool gear yeah. and a small a small caption it is enough. Um, so yeah, I, I'm on um, on Instagram at mojostompboxes. Mojostompboxes.com um, is the website which yeah. has uh, links to everything we do. It Great. has a link to the blog. It's got a link to the contact page, to the repairs, to the mods, everything like that. It's all um, all there and. Um, yeah, also, also Facebook and all that, or yeah, in, in person soon. Great. That's really cool. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your, for your time. It's been really fun talking, uh, talking about pedals. I'm totally in, in your, I think I'm in your age demographic of growing up with these pedals and loving them. So it's so good to hear, um, yeah, the, you're, you're loving them too and then spreading the love and uh, celebrating, um, yeah, a really cool period in gear history and, and keeping it alive. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's what it's all about. It's about celebrating it. It's about enjoying it. It's, um, you know, it's, it's about loving what, what you have and what you do. So, you know, if, if people can, can take some pride in their old gear or in their, you know, their, their special gear, then it's, um, that's, that's the goal. All right, there's my conversation with Tim Green from mojostompboxes.com. Make sure you check out Tim's stuff online and also at Stage Door in Alexandria in Sydney if you're in the area. All right, if you want more Guitar Speak podcasts, why not subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher and you'll get our weekly episodes delivered lovingly to your device each and every single time we present one. We've had some amazing guitar players, luthiers, gear builders on the show. There's another 33 episodes in our archive, so uh, it's always free to dig back and uh, dig those out as well. People like Jude Gold, Alastair Green, Gretchen Men, Andy Timmons, etc., etc. So many great people and a lot more great stuff to come. We're also on Facebook and Instagram, and I know every podcast asks you to do this, and I'm going to join in. Hey, if you would like to... Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, get involved with the posts, that really helps. If you'd like to share our episodes through your social networks, that's uh, a great help as well. So uh, I do appreciate do appreciate you doing that. All right, well, thanks again for joining me. My name is Matt Wakeling, and you've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye now. <laughs>